feel like it's like that Spider-Man meme where they're all just pointing at each other. It's like, you, 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 where are we going? You have three kids. Yes, sir. What's the Spider-Man meme? I haven't seen it. Just a bunch of Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Oh, okay. I don't <laughs> You know, when they ask me, like, you know, what's it like working with Gus? I say, well, hey, it's hard to teach an old draw dog new tricks. <laughs> Kid. <laughs> oh, how do you explain the Spider-Man meme on the on the spot? <clears throat> Welcome into the program, everybody. I'm Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. <laughs> that was... That was funny. Gus and I having a good time on uh, Saturday night there in the Rose Bowl. Oh, and by the way, yes, if you're watching this show and not just listening, I do have the sweater that we put on uh, in in preparation for today's matchup. Folks, uh, United States playing today, later today on Fox, I believe at 2 p.m. Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. So excited for that. So I decided to wear the sweater, wear the, uh, the Team USA sweater. Um, I didn't put it on on Saturday night, of course, because I didn't want to mess up my hair. I know that's kind of lame, but it is. Uh, listen, I'm nothing if I'm not honest. OK, so that's the way it is. All right. Lots to get into today. Um, this is going to be a, a, gr- a great show because, listen, it's game week already. OK, 11 and 0 against 11 and 0 Michigan, Ohio State. We are going to get. Well, every episode this week will have a little something on that game, and this one is no different. But there's other things that we've got to talk about from Saturday because it was a great day of college football, including the the unbelievable game that Gus and I were able to broadcast on Saturday at the Rose Bowl between USC and UCLA. And this one had playoff implications. It had Heisman implications, and it did not disappoint. Let's get into it. Let's rock. Brown in motion. Thompson Robinson surveying, delivers, intercepted by USA. Corey Foreman and the Trojans pick off Dorian Thompson Robinson for the third time. Their dreams of a college football playoff berth still alive. Wow. I mean, what a game it was, right? It it was a phenomenal game. Some great individual performances. There was a lot of drama in that game throughout, by the way. UCLA jumps out to the early lead. USC crawls back. Uh, Turnovers, swings of momentum. That had everything. That was just a great college football game. It really was. And trust me when I tell you this, I enjoyed every moment of it uh, because you don't get many of those, you know, and, and Gus and I have called a few games that have just been like total blowouts this year. And so when you get one like that, that is so good, so, so hotly contested, great performance. I mean, it, I was just enjoying it in the booth, as you could tell. Um, so USC prevails 48, 45. And I think my, my first takeaway from that game really twofold. And I, I want to talk about both of them, but let's start from the individual performance first because Caleb Williams was outstanding, right? Like this, this guy is so clearly the MVP of college football. Now, I don't know if he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to discuss kind of that uh, discussion here, here shortly. But when we're just talking about MVP, 
there's no team that relies more heavily on one player than USC relies on Caleb Williams. Obviously, the nature of the position, yes, we get it, but it's even more than that. His playmaking ability, his attitude, his swagger. Remember now, the roster is currently constructed the way that it is in part because of Caleb Williams. Those guys came to play with Caleb Williams. Okay, so he doesn't just have a hand in changing the culture with Lincoln Riley in one year, building a new culture is the way I like to put it, but he also had a hand in building the roster because a lot of these guys, like Jordan Addison's not coming for just some quarterback. He came to play with a guy like Caleb Williams, and it paid off because Addison had a monster game on Saturday night. UCLA did not have an answer for Jordan Addison, and they didn't really have an answer for Caleb Williams. Um he was so dangerous when he broke contain, and I kept talking about it all night long, and really UCLA only, I can remember twice really in my mind, kind of kept him hemmed in, but this guy is so dangerous whenever he breaks contain. But it's not just that, because there are quarterbacks that are like itching to run and to break out of the pocket. He's not that guy either, because he can hurt you. He can hurt you a great deal from the pocket. And when he's in rhythm, he showed us a few of those throws. I can remember a few throws. A um, couple to Addison, by the way. Uh, he threw the touchdown to Addison from the pocket on the little wheel route. He also threw the one that was down the sideline that I, I dropped a little you know, uh, waffles on Gus because that was an insanely good throw to drive it in the hole. So, yes, when he's in rhythm – he can hurt a defense. But then when he breaks contain, this is what's so impressive is that he becomes even more dangerous. And it's because of his ability to throw the ball on the run. I can't remember a guy that, that off the top of my head, there are guys that, that throw the ball really well on the run. But he's like lethal on the run when he breaks contain. We saw that a couple of times. One in particular, I lost my mind during the game because you're not, not supposed to be able to run dead full sprint to your left, and then just jump in the air, spin your body around, and throw a seed down the field. You're not supposed to do that. This guy is immensely talented, but it wasn't just his talent on display. It was his production on display when they needed it most. 500 total yards, uh, three total touchdowns. He was, he was the real deal on a big stage. And when it comes to Heisman, when it comes to that trophy – it really does come down to, like, how do you play on those big stages in those big moments? Because remember, if you're looking at the, the Heisman Trophy, you can argue all you want about what, what we should be voting on, who should be in the running. But the reality of it is, when you look at who wins the actual award, it's usually a great player, one of the best in the country, on a great team that has memorable performances and big moments stages right lights camera action and for USC that was the biggest stage they had so far this year and that might have been his best performance I know he threw that one pick and, and yeah it wasn't a great pick but look at what they did after the pick they were just a, a freight train on offense drive after drive after drive throw after throw Caleb Williams was phenomenal uh, and so that moment, I believe, is going to linger for vo voters. Going into the weekend, he was fifth in the uh, like in the betting odds for the Heisman Trophy. He's already, I've seen uh, now here early in the week, leading into the last week of the regular season, he's already second in the betting odds to C.J. Stroud. 
So, like, he he rocketed up exactly as I was saying it uh, on Saturday night. You could feel it. You know, I'm getting texts about how good he's playing. I'm getting texts about the the comparables in the NFL. I'm getting guys like, man, he reminds me of Rodgers. He reminds me of Mahomes. I'm like, easy. You know, just let him be a great college player. We're still going to see him for another year, by the way. So that that was an an all time. I think we're going to remember that for a long time. 500 total yards in that in that game. So he's there now. Another thing happened for him in that Heisman discussion, and that's that. A lot of the contenders either didn't play great, lost, or in some really awful cases, got injured. So when you look around, so Stroud, right? So Stroud, the betting favorite, he wasn't lights out and he, and he wasn't brilliant against Maryland in a game in which all of a sudden Ohio State is, is in a three-point game in the fourth quarter at Maryland. So like... While he didn't turn it over, and you can say, okay, he threw for a little over 240 yards, he didn't necessarily kill his chances, but he, he certainly didn't run away uh, with anything from the Heisman. Blake Corum, hurt after 100 yards against Illinois, had that great start to the game. Then he gets hurt. Thankfully, the the, the news from Ann Arbor, I guess if, if you want to believe it, because I think that there's still some question, but that there's no structural damage to Blake Corum's knee. Let's hope that's the case, and that you know, holding him out in the second half was more precautionary or or pain-driven, or is how Harbaugh put it. Hendon Hooker uh, gets hurt, and Tennessee got beat badly. But my heart just goes out to Hendon Hooker. You think about his career and everything that he's been through, and he's persevering, and he's walked through the adversity. He's found himself on this team that's having a magical season. And why are they having a magical season? Because of him. Hendon, you were unbelievable this year. And I just want to tell you, like, it breaks my heart that you are going to miss the rest of the season. I know it's not fair. Injuries are never fair. You deserve to have uh, a culmination to this incredible year that you're having and your team is having. And that's that's not going to be the case. And this... This sport is a cruel sport. Um, in part, that's why we love it. I will say this, though. You have faced adversity and, and succeeded before, and you will again. You will be stronger because of this. This is not the ending point in your career. I believe that you've got a bright future ahead of you. Um, you have been an absolute joy to watch this year from afar, albeit, but an absolute joy. My best to you. Um, I'll be praying for you as you go through your surgery and as you work towards your goal of playing at the next level. So Hendon Hooker, good on you, buddy. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Max Duggan in this Heisman race, uh, he got taken into deep water but played well against Baylor. So now he could be there lurking a little bit. Drake May did not play great. No touchdowns, an interception and a loss for North Carolina. So now, again, you know, I'm listing all these off, and what do you see? Caleb Williams, here he is. Here he is. So he's going to be right now in second position going into the last week in terms of betting favorites for the Heisman Trophy and right behind C.J. Stroud. And we'll, and we'll see. If Stroud loses this, then it's going to be up in the air. Now, it is probably still Stroud's to lose, Okay, so if he plays well against Michigan and they win and they win the Big Ten and they're undefeated, C.J. Stroud is your likely Heisman Trophy winner. But he's got to go do that against one of the best defenses in the country this week in Michigan. 
So that's where that stands. And then you start looking at this from the USC perspective as a team. Okay. And so I'm going to go through this very quickly because I think that it is very clear. USC, after what happened yesterday with the loss um, uh, Tennessee suffered to South Carolina, USC controls their own destiny. I firmly, firmly believe that. Okay. With, with the Big Ten East having to play itself out and with what's going on now, USC, if they beat Notre Dame and if they win the Pac-12 championship, I think USC is going to go to the playoff. Um, now it's just a question of can they do that? Can they do that? Because this is not... It's still, it's still not a great roster, which is in part why Caleb Williams' performance is so impressive. But they are getting enough from other areas of this team. Okay, I don't think. Let's just put it this way: if Lincoln Riley looks back five, six, seven, maybe ten years from now as the head coach of USC, I think he'll probably say, "Hey, this first team outside of Caleb and maybe Jordan Addison, you know, it, it probably wasn't one of my best teams that I've had at USC because they're still trying to build this thing. They address it uh, initially out of the transfer portal, did a marvelous job, but they are getting enough." from some key areas. Okay, so now this team is going to go through this two-game gauntlet. They're going to face Notre Dame. That's a Notre Dame team, by the way, that's so much better than what they were to begin the season. But now they're going to face this Notre Dame team, and they've gotten some key performances around Caleb Williams. I mentioned Jordan Addison already. How about the offensive line? How about Austin Jones stepping in for Travis Dye? That was a clutch performance from the offensive line. Okay, Austin Jones, well over 100 yards. That was a really good, solid game from the offensive line. Williams had all sorts of time to threaten the defense, not only with his legs, but obviously getting the ball down the field. And then the defense. Now, I get it. The defense is not stopping people per se, but they do get turnovers. Okay, And the game, if USC takes care of business early, could have gotten away from UCLA because of the turnovers that the Trojans were able to force. Now 23 on the year, 24 on the year, I'm sorry. And they were able to get the interceptions necessary late in the half, then late in the game to seal things uh, that really pay dividends. So this is a team that lived, feasted off turnovers early in the season, takeaways, and now they're doing again, uh, doing it again late. So... Can they win these two games? I think it's going to be very tough against Notre Dame. Notre Dame has not given up a 300-yard passer since Drake May early in the year uh, when they beat North Carolina. When you look at their pass defense over the last four games, Notre Dame given up five touchdowns and only uh, and, and gotten eight interceptions. So this is a good pass defense, top 20 pass defense. They can run the ball. They can control the game at the line of scrimmage. And we saw USC have some trouble with that, obviously, on Saturday night. Then they would face... And if you're just panning this out, a lot of scenarios still open in the Pac-12. Oregon is your likeliest um, opponent in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think USC would actually, they would be fine with that. Why? Because Oregon's pass defense is not great. And if you got Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and, and Lincoln Riley calling plays, then you can win those games. Can they win these two games? Yeah, they can. They can. I think this one's going to be tougher than the Pac-12 championship game. Notre Dame this week is going to be the toughest game that they have remaining. Um, if they can beat Notre Dame, I think that they've got a great chance, likely against Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game, just because of Oregon's pass defense. Are you ready to take control of your health and conquer your weight loss goals? Look no further than Factor, your ultimate solution to eating better. Each factor meal is always fresh, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. 
No more waiting around or spending hours in the kitchen. Just heat and eat. It's really that simple with over 35 different options to choose from each week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor ensures you'll never get bored with more than 60 add-ons to help you stay full and feeling good all day long. Pancakes, smoothies, and more. With Factor, there's no prepping, no cooking, and certainly no cleanup needed. The best part? You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Sign up and save because we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Eat better, feel better, and conquer your day with Factor. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash Joel50 and use code Joel50 to get 50% off. That's code Joel50 at factormeals.com slash Joel50 to get 50% off. Fuel up fast, eat better, and achieve greatness. Get started today. Okay, let's move on to the game. 11-0 against 11-0. Michigan and Ohio State coming up on Saturday. Here we go. Snap is good. The ball's placed down. The kick is on the way. And the kick is good. Jake Moody from 35 yards gives the Wolverines the lead. 19-17 with nine seconds remaining. All right, so here we go. Second time in the history of this historic rivalry that we're going to get these two teams at at least 11-0 to face off. The other one was in 2006. To say that I'm excited about this, like I I was pacing around the room watching Michigan early in the day. And I was pacing around uh, our truck and our compound uh, and then the booth in the Rose Bowl watching Ohio State and Maryland. That was way too close for both of those teams. And, you know, I'll talk about it later, but it's it's just the nature of trying to go through a season, a nine-game conference schedule where you don't have one of those non-conference games late. It This is the nature of it. You're going to get beat up, and at some point, find yourself with your back against the wall, and you've got to find a way to win. Both of them did that. First, Michigan. So Michigan, the biggest question uh, coming out of last week is going to be Blake Corum's health. And quite frankly, that's probably the question in the game. This whole week is going to be how healthy is Blake Corum? What is Michigan going to be able to do in the run game? How healthy is Corum going to be or not be? Or will he be available at all? This is this is a hundred percent like the cloud over the game right now. But Wolverine fans, you're going to get exactly zero sympathy from Ohio State fans because they're just going to be like, hey, see that guy that's only had, what is it, five catches on the year? He was probably one of the best players in the country and a likely favorite to win the Bolitnikoff Award, and we haven't had him at all. So... Eh, cry me a river if Corum can't play this week. That's what Buckeye fans are going to be thinking. I don't know if they're all that wrong, but that's what they're going to be thinking. Corum, for for his injury, and let's hope, and I touched on this a little bit, but as, as news is trickling out of Ann Arbor, apparently no structural damage. 
Um, there has been news, and he does a great job, by the way, this week of going and handing out turkeys and being within the community, and apparently he's been out doing that. But this is a massive deal. Now, it was compounded on Saturday against Illinois because Donovan Edwards was not available to them. So now he's banged up. Corum's banged up. A.J. Henning was not available, who they think can kind of you know go in at backfield and 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 spell those guys at times. He's he's one of those guys. They had uh, what Schoonmaker was banged up. Uh, Keegan, they had a lot of guys not out there, and so all of a sudden you're relying on C.J. Stokes and and what is it Isaiah Gash, and that's not going to cut it. So first things first in the entire conversation of this week's matchup if Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum is not healthy and they can't go Ohio State has a massive advantage massive advantage because that's not going to cut it what we saw in the second half against Illinois Stokes and Gash 14 attempts 42 yards three yards per carry that's not going to cut it you have to remember control the terms of the game against Ohio State in order to beat them. So then I thought to myself, okay, this second half is going to be all about JJ McCarthy. And guess what? JJ actually played pretty well in that second half. Did not get a lot of help around him. Andrew Anthony dropped that ball in the end zone when they're taking a shot. They thought they got the the offside. He takes a shot. He drops the ball. Gash dropped the ball. Like <clears throat> there were things he could have done better. Yes, and I, and, and I understand that. But he was not helped out. And now all of a sudden you're looking at this and this not this is not a quarterback that is learning and developed and gotten better and better throughout the season. Is that it's actually the exact opposite. So now JJ McCarthy, who started started off red hot and he was supposed to take this offense to the next level, he was leading the country in completion percentage through eight games at about 70, what, five percent? Now in the last three, he's throwing it for 50%. So again, if Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards can't go, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. This is a defense that's going to have to play really well. And obviously, statistically, they're they're very good. But they did give up a lot of yardage uh, to Chase Brown in Illinois. And Illinois had every opportunity to win that game. And of course, Brett Bielema has incensed at some of the, the penalties and, and officials' decisions. But that's, that is what it is. That's a lot of different games. For Ohio State, on the opposite side, they were dealing with something very similar, but they got a very different result out of it. Okay, so Mayan Williams, not available. Travion Henderson goes out there, and they think, okay, he's going to be back. Totally ineffective. You can tell he was banged up still and not healthy. But they've got better depth than Michigan at running back because Dallin Hayden rolls out there, and he's got 27 carries for 146 yards. So they got to feel a lot better about their backfield situation going into the game, <clears throat> even though they've, they've each got some of those injuries going on. I also told you that there was an issue brewing in terms of wide receiver production, that they were relying too heavily on Mel- Marvin Harrison Jr. In fact, over the previous three games before Saturday, Marvin Harrison Jr. was accounting for about 49% uh, of the receiving production for Ohio State. That was too high. So I said Julian Fleming or Emeka Abuka was going to have to step up and, and re-emerge as a true secondary threat to Marvin Harrison. Because in obvious passing situations, if I'm Michigan, I'm just doubling Marvin Harrison Jr. because that's where the ball was going to go. 
And so Emeka Abuka steps up. Six catches, 82 yards, leads them in receiving. So in a week in which both of these teams were tested, the depth was tested, and these specific areas of their team were tested, Ohio State comes out of that looking and feeling a lot better moving into game week than Michigan. Because Michigan has major questions now about the the health of their running back room and then whether their quarterback is going to be able to stand up and actually be the catalyst to go win a game. Think about where we started in this podcast, talking about Caleb Williams. He's the MVP, the most valuable player, possibly the Heisman Trophy winner. Why? Because he lifted a team by himself to a point where they are 10-1 and and he can go for over 500 total yards on a big stage. I'm not saying that that's the standard with which we need to hold J.J. McCarthy, but I am saying... We don't know if he can go do anything resembling that. If the game comes down to just a J.J. McCarthy show, we don't know if that can work. We don't know. Meanwhile, Ohio State at least has some answers to both their running back questions and their wide receiver uh, production questions. Okay. The blueprint to beat Ohio State, remember this, remember this, is exactly the way that Michigan plays. So stylistically, if I'm a Wolverine fan, I'm still confident in the fact that the architecture of their defense is built specifically to combat what Ohio State does. Tough interior against the run, hard edges to uh, uh, rush the passer, and then hybrid style players that tackle well in space at the second level, third level, and at the corner position. Because you got to tackle well to beat Ohio State. The key thing that Oregon did last year and Michigan did last year wasn't just totally shut down Ohio State. No, because I think that that's almost impossible to do. It's that you've got to limit the explosive plays by tackling well. Force them to execute 8, 9, 10, 11 plays in a row is exactly what they did a year ago. And then on the opposite side, you've got to control the game on the ground. The game has to be played on Michigan's terms. Okay, Michigan can't go into the shoe and play an Ohio State style of game and win. But they've if they go in there and control the line of scrimmage and control the terms of the game, then they've got a shot. That's just the kind of the style of the game. And I can't wait for this one. I think it's going to be an absolutely epic game and environment, and I can't wait. Okay, I want to finish something off with kind of what um, what what was a hot topic, I will say, out of the game on Saturday night uh, between UCLA and USC, although it didn't have to do with UCLA or USC. In fact, it was something that that I brought up. But I will just tell you this. Think of the wild day that we had in college football. You know, I, I mean, I already touched on Michigan and Ohio State, you know, and, and the struggle that they were having to win those games against Illinois and Maryland. But it was all over. TCU's running their field goal team out with no timeouts and kicking a field goal in order to win at Baylor. Tennessee gets absolutely stomped. 63 put on them. I mean, this is a team that all they had to do was win out, and they were likely in the college football playoff. And and that performance was head-scratching, to say the least. North Carolina goes down. They were a one-loss team. Georgia was in a 10-point game with Kentucky. Ole Miss goes down. It was a wild day. It was a wild day. And every one of those teams, every one of them, regardless of conference that they played in, do you think that they would have rather sat around and feasted on delicious, maybe moist, cupcakes. 
LSU leads UAB. Must be nice to be able to play UAB late in November. Give me a break. What a joke. Austin P for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You think Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, they, they would rather play Austin P than having to go on the road or play league opponent, opponents? Of course they would. Don't look at me. What are we doing? I'm not saying anything. So that obviously lit up Twitter, and everybody thought it was just like a massive shot at, at the SEC. No, it's not. I am against any conference, any team, scheduling in a way in which gives them a massive cupcake late in November. Why is that, Joel? Well, because it gives them a massive advantage in college football. That's not good for the sport. That's gaming the system. It's gaming the system. And by the way, I never said, hey, <clears throat> it's just that they played them, period. I said, in November. It's it's it's, it's just one of those things. Like, you, you think Hendon Hooker would still be healthy if they were playing Austin P? Probably. Probably. You think that Ohio State with their injury issues. By the way, TCU was banged up, and Duggan is putting on a great performance to beat Baylor. Michigan's all banged up, trying to just scratch out a win against Illinois. Why is that? Because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to go through a, a gauntlet of games week after week after week in any conference and play at a at a conference standard a winning conference standard every single week that's hard to do <clears throat> and those other teams know it and they know it so well that they avoid it that's not good for the sport it's just not all right you want to play them fine you know what fine go play them in september go play them in september because we should all be be at least in some semblance playing the same structure of schedule now, you can yell and scream all you want to, like, well, the SEC schedule is just tougher. Okay. Okay. But if it's just tougher all around, then isn't it the same between the margin of teams as playing in any other conference? See, because I would actually argue that the middle of the SEC is further from the top of the SEC than the middle of the Pac-12 is from the top of the Pac-12. I would argue that the middle of the SEC is further from the top of the SEC than the middle of the ACC is from the top of the ACC. Same in the Big 12. The only argument that maybe you can get into in particular this year is that the middle of the Big 10 is probably just as far from the top end of the Big 10 than middle top end of the SEC. There's really three reasons why this is such a, a, a massive benefit to these teams. Three reasons. And I know that they're, they're obvious, but I just want to talk through them a little bit. And again, this is not a conference argument. This is a schedule structure argument. Everybody in college football, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Georgia, you should all be shouting from the rooftops about this because it's not good for the sport. It's just not. When you all of a sudden gain an advantage in the three areas that I'm going to talk about, one, huge advantage as it relates to health. That is as obvious as the day is long, okay? And I know the days are getting shorter, so whatever. It's just really obvious. You get what I'm trying to say. Number two is the difficulty of holding a standard of performance. Any of us know, and you inherently know this, it's really tough to be at our best or our capacity 
all the time or frequently. Okay. Um, if any of us are ever like, if you're working out and, and you're working hard, like let's say you're, you're on the Peloton, can you PR every day? Of course you can't. Of course you can't. It's not physically possible. It's really hard. Why? Because you get banged up and then it, it, you just can't get yourself there. Well, that's the same with a football team. Week after week after week, it's just not going to happen. That's why undefeateds don't happen in the National Football League. They just don't. Okay? Why? Because the standard of performance every single week is very difficult. It's tough to get to your peak four times in the last month of the season rather than two times in the last month of the season. And then the last thing is that it's clearly unfair because we have this subjective nature of college football. We still crown a champion based off subjective metrics. Let me give you an example of that. In November, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if you only beat Austin P 34 nothing. <clears throat> but if you did that in the first week of the season, we would clearly say, what's wrong with you? Why is that? I don't... Like, I don't understand. By the way, isn't it so much better to just win a game in which we we, we push it off to the wayside? You can just win 34 nothing, and it's just it, everything is fine. And you can get guys healthy. Gibbs doesn't play. There's no, I mean, there's no strain on your team, right? It's not very difficult. Versus, let's say those those guys, let's say Gibbs was out. You want to play South Carolina this week? With Jameer Gibbs out, don't you think you'd probably be in a game that was a lot tighter than people expected? And then when you're in a game tighter than people expected, in the subjective nature of our sport, everyone's like, I don't know about them. Which is exactly what's going on with some of these other teams. Oh, I don't know about Michigan and Ohio State. Are they really that good? Look at what they did against Maryland and Illinois. Oh, but we can just go play Austin P and only win 34-0 with the same guys out. And it's like, and it's totally fine. It's totally fine. The sport in, in so many ways is broken, and the schedule is, is one of those. And, and this bringing this to light, I believe, is important because we need to fix it. We need to play similar, uh, similar styles of schedule and makeup of schedule, and certainly we need to get these cupcakes out of the last month of the season. I think that is, is bad for the sport, and I will go to my grave with that opinion. Uh, that's going to do it for us uh, today, at least. Remember, if you're watching this before, I think, 2 Eastern, make sure to go watch the men's national team as they get their World Cup started. Wearing this sweater um, for everybody out there in Qatar, all of our coworkers out there, Ginny Taff, Rob Stone from the college football world, everybody out there, uh, you guys are doing a great job and uh, continue to kill it there on the World Cup. This show is coming back, of course, on Wednesday. I'll have playoff rankings reaction, more thoughts on Ohio State and Michigan. And then as we get into Thursday, we're going to continue to look at uh, some of these scenarios throughout college football about who's playing in the Pac-12 conference championship game, who's playing in the Big Ten conference championship game. All of that uh, will be coming up in Big 12 as well. We don't have uh, a final two teams in the Big 12. So all of that is coming up. Follow us 
subscribe, rate, review, share with a friend, all those things. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you watching the show. If you're or 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 listening, if you listen or watch the show and you see me out at one of these games, please come say hello. Uh, tell me what you like, what you don't like about the program. Uh, because listen, college football is always better when we share it together and we share it with a friend. Follow me on social media at Joel Clad on Twitter at Joel underscore Clad on Instagram. You can follow the show right here on any of the social medias at Joel Clatt Show. That'll do it for tonight. We'll be back on Wednesday.